Thank you, Brother Lyles, and thank you for that two-hour battery. Hallelujah. People in Gina wish they had 15-minute batteries, but uh, <clears throat> anyway, how good it is to be here today and how wonderful the preaching we just heard. I like that, don't you? Amen. I believe that. <clears throat> I'm striving to live that, aren't you? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, I feel kind of like that old farmer that uh, Brother Jorner was talking about. Everybody's moved in as Walmarts and Kmarts and uh, quick oil change places and, fix and quick fix-its all around and everybody can get their nails done and their hair done and this done all around me. And I'm out here in my straw hat with my mule. I just kind of don't fit in this world anymore. Amen. But uh, I don't have any intention of changing. I just told him in Gina, I said, don't think about the fact that you can wear me down. I'm too hard-headed and tough for that. I don't intend to change. Praise God. Now, I don't like a lot of things that's in this world. I'm trying to make it through it. And uh, I wish we'd go back to dials and knobs myself, but uh, I, don't, I don't think that's going to happen. So I'm just trying to stay with the race that we're in. Praise God. But I'm having a good time, aren't you? Amen. Amen. I'm enjoying living for God. I tell folks all the time, if I die before the Lord comes, when you walk by my casket, you say, that was one happy coon right there. <laughs> Praise God. And I am a happy coon. I'm telling you that. <laughs> Praise God. I'm having a good time living for the Lord. Amen. Brother Bayham's grandpa was pastoring the Old Blade Church, and I got the Holy Ghost there just a few weeks. It'll be 52 years ago, Brother Bayham. Praise God. The Lord healed me and gave me the Holy Ghost the same night, and I'm still rejoicing in that Holy Ghost experience. Praise God. Praise God. Just having a wonderful, wonderful time. And my, how the years have flown by, and I'll just tell you the truth. I'll take youth and ignorance any day over age and experience. <laughs> Hallelujah. If I had a choice, I'd, I'd just take the youth and ignorance. I'll just tell you that. <laughs> Hallelujah. But uh, here we are, and, you know, I'm trying to enjoy every stage of life. <clears throat> Praise God. And I'm enjoying where I'm at today and having a wonderful, wonderful time. I want to stay true to God, don't you? Amen. Amen. Back in the days of the ancient Greek and Roman philosophy when there were so many gods and goddesses, there were gods of the sun, the moon, the stars, the god of the wind, the god of fire, uh, the god of fertility, uh, and, and you've studied about those, I'm sure, just gods of every sort. And uh, whatever the belief system was that a person had, if they looked across the way and uh, a farmer's crops were better than his, and he had a special God in his life, uh, an idol or some kind of belief system, and his crops were a little better, well, then you would adopt his God. If you saw somebody that was doing this and uh, they were prospering better than you in a certain field, you adopted their God. And thus was born a theological term called syncretism, that uh, what you do you incorporate into your belief system and into your theology the gods of other people that seem to be more 
successful than you are. And so finally you get all the gods in your corner and everything is fine and everything is perfect. But what happens is you wind up a confused, idolatrous person. We're living in a day of a rebirth of syncretism where we are adopting all kinds of methods and styles and all kinds of beliefs as Brother Joyner said it. I don't want to practice the doctrine of syncretism. There is still just one God. Hallelujah. There is one Father. Hallelujah. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Thank God. That's all we need today, and I want to hold on to that. Don't you? Praise God. I'm not interested in looking down the road and seeing what somebody else is doing and adopting their God. I believe we ought to stay with this Bible. Hallelujah. And stay strong in the things of Almighty God. Praise the Lord. God bless you. It's a joy, a real joy to be in Generette today. And I love Brother Lyles. He is one of my favorite people. And uh, I don't want to go to calling names here today. I've got so many friends that are out there, people I love and respect. And I'm going to tell you, um, I, I don't feel worried uh, so much when I come to a meeting like this. And I see men like Brother Weeks and Brother Pixler and other young men, Brother Morgan, and I could just go down the line, a lot of guys here. Uh, Brother, I feel confident this apostolic message is going to be going on. Hallelujah. Praise God. And I appreciate our elders. I appreciate the men of God. But I appreciate these young men. And Brother, that Brother Weeks preached to us last night. Amen. Praise God. And I'm excited about hearing Brother Pixler uh, tonight, I know he's a fantastic preacher as well as a singer. And Brother Joyner certainly preached to us today. And now we're just down to an old codger here that's left to preach this afternoon. Amen. But I appreciate Bible conferences such as this. I appreciate the men of God, the ministers. Glad my wife is with me. She's been running around with me for about 47 years almost now. And we're having a wonderful time in the work of the Lord. If you'd like to stand together, I'm going to go to God's word today and talk to us just a little while from the scripture. <clears throat> now, uh, I, don't know, <clears throat> I don't know when it happened or where it happened or who decided it. It's certain I didn't have anything to do with it. And uh, I, I don't, again, I don't know where it come from and I'm not so sure that it even fits. But somewhere along the journey of life, <clears throat> of all of these years of preaching, um, somebody decided I was a Bible teacher. And um, I don't know that that's the truth. Um, you can do a lot of teaching while you're preaching. And you can do a lot of preaching while you're teaching. <clears throat> and so I don't know what you're going to call this today. But uh, I'm just going to take my time. And I'm just going to talk to us out of, our, or out of my heart, hopefully to your heart. And I recall so many days of years past, and some of you were in those meetings. I was with Brother Majors and some of them when we were young men. And you would just sit for hours. And you would just hear preaching and preaching and preaching. And uh, those were the things that founded us. Amen. And we, we had guys, and maybe still do, I don't know, that, that they was a little rough and tough out here, and they was a little, somebody a little rough and tough over there. But uh, we've become so homogenized nowadays, and uh, 
and whatever till it's a tragic thing. I thank God for those old timers. It just sort of roughshod, but they would just give you some things that made you abide and stay in the church of the living God. Thank God. I thank God for our heritage today. Amen. And I love you good men of God. And uh, I want to be submitted. And I want to be yielded in the work of the Lord. And I say most everywhere I go, we need a revival of submission. And we need a revival of humility. Amen. Belonging to an organization doesn't mean that you're accountable to anybody. And not belonging to one doesn't mean that you're not accountable to somebody. Amen. It's your attitude, it's your spirit as to whether you're accountable to anybody or not. I believe we need an accountability to the brethren. We need an accountability to the scripture. Praise God. And if we'll submit ourselves one to the other, as the Bible teaches, and we will have a humble spirit about it, I believe we can stay right and stay straight. Don't you? Praise God. I want to live for God. I'm not interested in making a big splash. I'm interested in being saved. Amen. That's the main thing. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, I want to read today from the book of Genesis chapter 29, and then I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Genesis chapter 29, verses 31 through 35, and 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 14. Praise the Lord. In Genesis 29, I think you'll recognize this, beginning at verse 31. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bare a son, And she called his name Reuben, for she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bare a son, and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And she conceived again and bare a son, and said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. And she conceived again and bare a son. And she said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and left bearing. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, Paul uses uh, a scriptural term, but it is also somewhat of a military expression. In chapter 2 and verse 14, he said, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. Praise the Lord. Would you just praise the Lord with me and ask the Lord to anoint me and anoint you today. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, 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 amen. Praise God forever. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Everybody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Shout hallelujah again. 
Oh, that sounds good. You may be seated. The Lord richly bless you. Forgive me for taking off my jacket. I preach without a coat at home, and so I'm going to make myself at home. Brother Majors tried to break me from that habit years ago when I was assisting him in 1959. I'd take my coat off, and he said, you need to quit doing that. He said, that's a habit. And, uh, but I never did quit, Brother Majors. <laughs> Hallelujah. I talked about being submitted, but I wouldn't submit it in that. I used to drink water when I preached. I'd get thirsty and I'd drink water. And I remember I was preaching a revival and I drank some water. And a lady come up after church and she said, Brother Coon, she said, you need to quit that. said, that, that ain't nothing but the devil causing you to have to drink that water. And I said, well, I'm just going to give that devil a drink every once in a while. <clears throat> Hallelujah. <clears throat> so I'm just getting comfortable here today. Praise the Lord. Now, from the Bible scriptures that I have read to you today, and Paul said, Thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. I want to talk to you for the next little while here today about the biblical key to ultimate triumph. The biblical key to ultimate triumph. Now, <clears throat> anything that is the ultimate of course, means that there's been a lot of things that preceded it. There's been a lot of consequences, lots of uh, expressions, lots of ideas, lots of efforts. And finally, at the end, the best has come and the finality has come. The word triumph <clears throat> actually uh, more than just an expression or just uh, an event, actually a triumph is whenever you are in the final procession of a victory. You are marching in the final march of victory. That is called a triumph. And uh, one of the ways that our world has uh, used to express triumph, and this is somewhat of a um, just sort of a historical uh, development through many centuries of time, one of the uh, unspoken expressions of triumph is to create an arch. An arch is a symbol of triumph. And uh, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, Paul uses this somewhat military term, triumphing, uh, because it come from uh, and originated with whenever men would go out to fight battles and this thing sort of evolved over many, many years of time. They would set up either a permanent and obviously in the beginning it was a very temporary form of an arch. They would set up an arch and uh, the general, the army or whoever was involved, they would march through that. And that become known as a triumph. That become known as a triumphal arch. If you were to visit Valley Forge in Pennsylvania, you would see a big arch at the entrance and the exit of Valley Forge. That is a triumphal arch. That is indicative of the fact that the American forces triumphed over the forces of England and of Great Britain. And uh, so consequently, 
any arch that you see uh, that is of any significance uh, is speaking a language of triumph. And Paul is using that. If you've ever been to Paris, France, one of the great features of that city and one of the most interesting landmarks in Paris, France, is the Arc de Triomphe, which was, um, of course, originated and ordered to be built by Napoleon. And all of the uh, huge 12 avenues of the city of France emerged to that one particular point of the Arc de Triomphe, <clears throat> indicative of past victories. Amen. And I want to talk to you today about the fact that there is a biblical key to ultimate triumph. Hallelujah. After, after everything has been tried, after everything has been worked against us, whenever the final story is told, and whenever we come down to the grand finale of it all, praise God, we march triumphantly into that wonderful place that the Lord has gone to prepare for us. Praise God. I want to ultimately triumph. Praise God. I may lose a few battles, but I don't want to lose the war. Amen. I want to ultimately win the fight. Praise God. And as we all know, today we have got some tremendous enemies that are fighting against us. We have got the world, we have got the flesh, and we have got the devil. And all of them are fighting against us. Amen. I would to God that this flesh was saved like our soul is saved. Isn't it a battle to have a saved soul inside of an unsaved body? Amen. To have a redeemed soul inside of an unredeemed body. But we're like the Apostle Paul. He said to wit. We are awaiting the redemption of the body. Praise God. Won't it be wonderful when we have a redeemed soul living inside of a redeemed body and we won't have to fight the flesh, we won't have to fight the world, we won't have to fight the devil anymore. Praise God. And I believe that someday we are going to ultimately triumph over all of that. Hallelujah, hallelujah. How many of you want to be victorious in the end? Shout hallelujah again. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, let me just talk to you for a little while here today about a story that I'm sure that every preacher has preached about and has taught about in your experience. And um, I don't want to belabor any of the points because I understand that I'm here today among Bible scholars. I'm here among preachers and teachers of great significance, men that... I highly respect and love, and I'd, I'd just feel a lot better if I was sitting out there listening to somebody else. But since it's my turn, well, here I am. Amen. <clears throat> and, uh, and, you know, sometimes people say, well, how, how do you preach all the time? Well, I preach like you go to work. Amen. I preach by commitment. <clears throat> Amen. And uh, if you say, well, you know, I just do things when I get inspired. You're not going to do much if you work by inspiration. Amen. Hallelujah. And, uh, you know, I, I rarely get inspired to fast. <laughs> rarely get inspired to fast. Hallelujah. Amen. And uh, I don't always get inspired to pray. And I sure don't always get inspired to preach. Hallelujah. I just do it. Amen. Praise God. 
there's a lot of Sunday mornings. I, I got a call from a fella, <clears throat> and he's he pastoring the church. He's a good man and wonderful man. I love him. He called me one day, and he said, Brother Coon, he said, I think uh, me and my wife need a little counseling. And he said, uh, I know you try to help preachers and preachers' wives. He said, could we come talk to you? I said, why, sure. I said, I'll meet you somewhere. You live quite a distance away. And I said, what's the deal? <clears throat> he said, well, <clears throat> he said, we got into it, me and her did. And he said, uh, <laughs> that's kind of a strange statement, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, he said, we just sort of got into it and, uh, on Saturday night. And he said, I just got up early Sunday morning. And he said, I went down to the church. And he said, had a big marquee out in the front, big sign like Brother Lyle's got. And he said, I just put her name up there and said, Sister so-and-so, put his wife's name, will be your pastor for today. <laughs> and he said, I got in my car, and uh, he said, I drove to a big city, told me where he went, and he said, I spent all day in books a million. He said, I stayed there Sunday morning, I stayed Sunday afternoon, I stayed Sunday night until it closed. <laughs> and he said, I don't know what they did at church. He said, I just had all I could handle. <laughs> I said, well, I think you do need a little help. Praise God. What I didn't tell him was I kind of felt like the same thing myself sometimes. <laughs> Amen. So you may think I need a little bit of help. Amen. But uh, we just do this by commitment. <clears throat> I'm telling you, you do it by commitment. You go to church by commitment. You worship God by commitment. You pay your tithes by commitment. You live holy by commitment. Right, you just make up your mind, I'm going to do it, bless God. Hallelujah. And so you just, you just get up and do it. It's time to do it. It's Sunday morning, it's time to preach. And you just get up and preach, amen. There's not a one of you men that's in this building and uh, preachers or saints or whatever, every time the alarm clock goes off, and it's time to get up and go to the factory or go down to the plant or where, wherever you're going or go to Carpenter or go to the oil field or whatever it is. When that alarm clock goes off, you don't just grab the cover and throw it off of you and just jump out of the bed and just do a little dance around and say, Ooh, I'm so excited I'm going to work today. My God, I just can't wait to get there. Hallelujah. Maybe set the clock an hour early so you can get there early. Why, no, you don't do any such crazy thing as that. And I don't do that on Sunday morning either. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Now, it's nothing like being truthful, I'm just telling you. <laughs> Amen. Oh, a lot of times I've just pulled the cover up over my head and said, Oh, God. My Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. I wish to God this was Tuesday. Amen. Hallelujah. I tell you what you do. You get up. And you drag yourself up. And you make yourself go. And you ask your wife, whose idea was that about having all these young'uns? Mine or yours? Amen. You get up because his kids closed to buy. And, and there's a, you got to pay the note on the Chevrolet and on the boat. And so you just get up and go. Amen. And so it's time for me to preach. And that's the reason I'm here today. Now, it took me a while to tell you why I'm preaching today, but anyway, that's why I'm preaching. 
<clears throat> but I do feel right well today. Hallelujah. I'm serious. I do feel good in the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord. Now, not every time, but never in my life have I ever got up and said, now, I'm not going to preach till something happens here tonight. I've never said that in my life. I just get up and preach till something happens. I just preach. And if nothing else, I go to sleep. But I preach till something happens. Amen. And uh, that's just what I believe in doing. So we're here by commitment today. We love God. Isn't that right? Yes. Amen. <clears throat> I read to you a little story uh, about a man by the name of Jacob. And we know his biography quite well from the scripture. <clears throat> One of the favorite uh, objects of preaching and teaching and discussion. And so you don't really need a lot of insight. But let me give you enough that you can understand what I want to try to project to us today. And uh, we know the story of him and Esau, <coughs> pardon me, and their fuss and his being sent down to Laban's house, the relative of his mother. We know all of that story and how he gets down to Laban's house. And uh, <coughs> there he, he meets Rachel, that wonderful, beautiful daughter of Laban and uh, he decides that he wants to marry her she is a real knockout apparently as we used to say when I was courting I don't know what they say now amen I'm not in that business anymore <clears throat> hallelujah <clears throat> praise God and I'm glad I'm not amen praise the Lord two things I don't want in life is another church or another wife <clears throat> Amen. But uh, she was a real knockout, this Rachel was. And so him and Laban, and I, I really haven't figured out who's the biggest scalawag, I guess you could say, or the biggest conniver between the two, whether it's Jacob or Laban. But Jacob's name tells you a lot about him, just his name is indicative of his thinking, and he carries his name well. <clears throat> and he, he gets into this deal with Laban, as we all know, that if he would work seven years for Laban, for nothing, so to speak, that he would give him this pretty girl in marriage. And they come to terms on that particular story and deal. And again, you know the rest of that. Whenever the seven years is done and the time is rolled around and it's time for the big wedding, <clears throat> Laban has got another daughter. Her name is Leah. She is older than Rachel is. And uh, Rachel, or excuse me, Leah has got some kind of a problem. Now, I don't know how to describe it, and I'm not here 4,000 years later denigrating and criticizing and trashing Leah, but she's got some kind of a deal. <clears throat> I don't know what it is. <clears throat> the Bible says that she was tender-eyed. Now, on first reading, that may think, make you think that she had some sort of dreamy, attractive eyes, but actually the opposite is true. According to the record, 
they say that she had weak eyes. She had eyes with no sparkle. Maybe there was some kind of a uh, handicap, some kind of a, a distortion of her visage. I, I don't really know. But there was something there <clears throat> that made her far, far less desirable than Rachel was. But um, again, you know the story, the conniving, the cheating that is involved here. And on the night of the big wedding between Jacob and Rachel, <clears throat> Laban succeeds in slipping Leah into the wedding ceremony and gets Jacob married to Leah. And, uh, and that, that's quite a, quite a story within itself. <clears throat> and so Jacob, of course, is not happy with this deal. He, he loves Rachel. She's a beautiful woman. And he worked seven years far, and then he gets, uh, he gets what we say cheated with this woman that is something is, is not just quite right about her attractive qualities. And so here he is, stuck with a woman, and he chides with his father-in-law and says, Listen, and I'm paraphrasing, what in the world did you do this to me for? What's, what's the deal? And you know Laban's explanation that it is customary, it is, it is uh, the nature of our culture <clears throat> that you do not give the younger before you give the elder in marriage. And so that's, that's the deal. And then in the midst of that, they strike up another little contract. And that is now, if you really, really want Rachel that bad, if you want to work seven more years for her, well, then uh, I'll, I'll, I'll work out a bargain with you. And at the end of seven years, then you can have her. And, uh, of course, he did that. And uh, <clears throat> he winds up with, with Rachel after a while. And here he has got two women in the same house. And uh, they're sisters. And uh, living with these two women. And uh, married to... A woman that he really loved and he really wanted. And he really worked hard to get her 14 solid years. In fact, the Bible says that the, the last seven years that he worked for her, they seemed as but a few days to him for the love that he had for her. That's quite an astounding statement when you think about it. And I just want to say, if you'll really get in love for God, it's going to seem like a short journey from here to the coming of the Lord, if you really love him. Amen. And it seemed like that, that the days just were so short in the years that he worked for Rachel this last seven years. And now they start on the road to matrimony. He has been here with Leah these years, and now uh, the family starts. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and, and you know the story as... It begins to unfold, and, and I've heard it preached, and I'm sure that I've preached it many times, and all of us have that big spot of sympathy in our heart for Jacob. Poor old Jacob, can you imagine getting tricked like that? Can you imagine getting deceived? Can you imagine getting cheated? And we talk about Jacob. He got cheated so bad. Boy, he's getting paid back. And, and can you imagine being cheated in such a fashion as, as Jacob has been cheated? And uh, 
we, we look at Leah and we just sort of pass her by and we just think, well, you know, she's kind of the victim in this thing and she got caught in the crossfire. But I'm, I'm going to say to you today that if anybody ever got cheated in a deal, it was Leah that got cheated in the deal. Amen. The Bible said that she was hated. The Bible tells you very emphatically that when Leah saw that she was hated, now that word hated there is, is much the same as you find in the New Testament. It does not mean that kind of vitriolic anger and, and <clears throat> feelings of, of, of vengeance that, uh, that hatred can turn into. But the word hatred oftentimes in the Bible means to love less. Just like when Jesus said, if a man does not hate his father and his mother, houses and land and all of that, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus doesn't teach you to love your parents on one side and then hate them on the other side. What he's saying is that you've got to love your parents less than you love God. If you don't hate them, if you don't love them less. And, and that was the story of, of Leah's life. She was hated. It does not mean that that Jacob had some kind of a strong resentment, just total rejection of her. But he loved her less than he loved this other woman. And it was very obvious, and it was in the same house. And, and the same feelings uh, could be felt by everybody inside of this house. And here is this woman <coughs> that, that is, is, is cheated with, with this marriage situation. And, of course, Jacob uses her in their marriage and... Um, the Bible said that the Lord opened the womb of Leah, but he closed the womb of Rachel. And, and so Leah starts bearing children, <clears throat> but she's feeling this rejection, and she's feeling this hurt, and she's feeling the keenness of being cheated and not knowing what to do, caught in a trap that she cannot get out of, involved in a situation that there is no escape from. And of course, let me say this in the very beginning, as you know, in, in ancient Eastern custom and in biblical times, if, if a woman bore sons to her husband, whether she was a handmaid, she was a concubine, or she was a wife, that give her some kind of an elevated status. Uh, because having boys especially, and even girls, but boys especially, that, that elevated the status of that woman to a high position. It give her new esteem. It give her new love. It give her new respect. It give her a new, new level of attainment in life if she could bear a son. That was the custom. That was the biblical structure. And so <clears throat> here is this woman that has this this uh, uh, incapacitating beauty. He, she has this, this problem with her looks and, and she is, doesn't seem to be so well accepted uh, not only by her husband but by everybody else. It's a very, very obvious problem. But there is a strange phenomenon that occurs and that is that she begins to bear children and, and she uh, begins to bear sons unto Jacob. And she's feeling all of this. Now here is a woman that is carrying a man's child. But she feels his rejection. And she feels this distance. And she feels this hurt. But all of a sudden, Reuben comes into the world. And here is what Leah says. She said, surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. And she says, now 
Therefore, my husband will love me. Now, can you imagine feeling so rejected until whenever that first boy is born, you, you have this idea that my husband's going to love me now. I'm going to be accepted now. Boy, I've reached that status. I've reached that pinnacle. Every woman that is married would like to reach. And that is that I have born a son to this man. And uh, so uh, everything's going to be better now. But sad to say, <clears throat> it was not better. It did not change anything. Reuben did not fix the maladjustment that existed between Jacob and Leah. There was a misnomer about the name and about the situation and about the circumstance. And so I don't know how long it was, uh, ever how many months, ever how many short years until she was expecting a second son. <clears throat> and, and not to make the story so long, <clears throat> she bore another son by the name of Simeon. And here is what she said. And in his name and all of these names are tied to these statements. She said, because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. God knew that I was not liked as much as Rachel. And so Simeon is going to make up the difference. And I'm going to be loved just as much as Rachel is loved now. This is going to put me on an equal footing with my sister. My looks may not be quite as good, but I want to tell you I've got the difference. I've got something to compensate. I've got something that will break down the barriers. I've got something that will elevate my status and, and my, 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 uh, the thinking of my husband in relation to me. But again, it was a failure. It did not succeed. And then <clears throat> she finds herself with child again and and she gives birth to Levi and hear what she says she said now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons she's thinking now there's obviously been a, a, a marital connection for these children to be born but there is still a distance there is a chasm uh, there is something that is absent and missing in all of this but she says now at this juncture my husband will be joined to me there will be that feeling of acceptance that feeling of love that feeling that <clears throat> I didn't get cheated with, Re uh, with Leah but, but it's been a good thing and, and she, is, she is feathering my uh, my name and, and the progenity and, and all of that. But, but still, again, Levi, who was to become that great priestly tribe, did not span the gap. And it did not bridge the chasm that existed in the lives of Jacob and of Leah. And so <clears throat> she finds herself with a child again. And, and you've got to understand now, and I want you to listen to this, and I certainly would not want to say anything ugly or out of character in a pulpit especially. Uh, you've got to understand now that at, at the conclusion of this fourth child's uh, term of pregnancy, this woman has spent at least three years of her life in bearing four sons. She has spent 36 months a pregnancy, and every one of those 36 months has been spent in an agony. It has been spent in a climate of rejection. It's been spent in a climate of feeling like I've been cheated. 
I thought once you got married, I thought once you had boys especially, that you would have a good relationship and things would be good in your life. But I've been cheated of the love of a husband. I've been cheated of acceptance. I've been cheated of being liked. I've been cheated of being treated kind. And I don't know how many years expired between each of these times whenever she would bear a child and then it would be time for another. But uh, if there was a year between the births, somewhere around seven years, it could have been 15 years, I don't know. But ever how long it was, it was a long time. And uh, she was constantly feeling, I'm, I'm, I'm cheated. And I just can't do enough. I just can't, I can't reach any level. I can't attain anything. And, and I can't survive all of this. But after a while, and I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know how, <clears throat> I don't know what the experience was. Maybe it was just the recurrence. Maybe it was just the long years of battering. Maybe it was the long years of mental suffering. I don't know what the story was uh, exactly. But I do know, I do know that in every instance, she was, she was reaching out. She was crying out, uh, would you have, love me now? Would you, would you not hate me anymore? Would you just kind of put me on an equal footing with my sister? And her sister wrestled over, the Bible says, over Leah. There was, there was a feeling in that home that was tragic and that no one of us would like to live in. And, and, and Leah is going through year after year of this, of this situation. And finally, I don't know where it's at. I don't know if it's in the darkness of a night. I don't know if it's at the very moment that Judah is born. I don't know uh, what it is. But somewhere, some way, sometime or another, she got to the point. She said, I've, I've tried all I can try. I've used all the names that I've got. I've tried Simeon. I've tried Reuben. I've tried Levi. <clears throat> I've, I've, I've reached for everything that I can reach for, and it's failed. I've given it the best that I've got. I have tried. I have been faithful. I have been loyal. And all of the adjectives and all of the feelings and all of the hurts and everything, <clears throat> she, she looked at all of that. And, and she realized uh, having boys is, is, is probably not the answer. And I don't know what I could do. I am at the end of my road. I have done everything that I can do. And so <clears throat> the day that Judah is born, she does not name this child some kind of a name that appeals to her husband. She does not reach out to life anymore. But she reaches beyond the climb of a worldly atmosphere. And she says, now will I praise the Lord. Hallelujah. She said, it is time for me to lift up my head and start praising God. Hallelujah. I cannot bear it any longer. I can't go any further. And I'm not going to fix this problem by myself. I'm just going to start praising the Lord. I'm just going to start exalting the God of heaven. I'm just going to start giving God the glory. Hallelujah. I've come to ask us today, when are we going to get to the place that we give birth to Judah? And we say, now will I praise the Lord. Now will I shout to victory. Praise God. God, I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Now, I probably, I probably, and I hope you understand what I'm saying. I've probably been a frontline critic of some of the preaching of our generation. And, and I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, and I hadn't changed my mind about that. I, I just, and I don't even like to call attention to it. We're in a crisis of real apostolic preaching in our generation. I thank God for the two messages we've heard, and we'll hear something uh, fitting and good here tonight. But I'm telling you, and, and I'm not the most traveled man in the world, and I haven't listened to the most sermons of anybody in the world, but we've come to a happy, clappy, jumping, praising generation with no sound, solid, apostolic preaching. I'm going to tell you, friend, this, this, this modern praise that we're talking about, this choreographed praise, this sensationalism that's worked up, all of this jumping and counting and all of the silliness that's going on is not what I'm preaching about today. I'm preaching about real praise unto God. I'm talking about exalting God. I'm talking about getting victory over your problems and over sin and over the world and over the flesh. Praise God. I'm talking about getting beyond feeling cheated and saying I'm going to praise the Lord in spite of what's going on in my life. Hallelujah. I'm going to live for God regardless. Amen. I'm tired of trying to please Jacob. I'm tired of trying to please everybody else. I'm tired of trying to get everybody to love me. I'm just going to start serving the Lord. I'm just going to start praising the Lord. <clears throat> hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Now, <clears throat> to save you the job, if, you're gonna, if you want to look it up, if you want to study the history of praise, I want to tell you that this was the birth of praise. This is the first mention of praise in the Bible. Amen. And from there, <coughs> Judah becomes known as praise, a tribe of praise. Now, again, as I have said, that has been carried to an extremity. Amen. We're living in a generation <coughs> that, that people are just praising the Lord till their earrings jingle. Hallelujah. They're praising the Lord till their tattoos melt and run down their back, I believe. Amen. And the mascara is running down their face. But I want to tell you, they're really not praising the Lord like Leo was praising the Lord. Amen. That's not the kind of praise I'm talking about. Amen. Our young people went to, a, I had a guy told our youth, he carried our young people to a rally not long ago. <clears throat> they got inside and they had all the lights turned out except some on the platform. I don't know if they had the smoke rolling and, and the strobe lights flashing. I don't know. Uh, probably did. That everything else going on. And, and they was telling me it was like a, a, a rock concert. <clears throat> Got inside of there. And everybody would come up to the front and they'd count to three or two or whatever and then they'd jump up and see how many times they could whirl around before they hit the ground. And, and that's a youth rally, and that's praising the Lord. I told our guy over the young people, I said, don't take them back to any more of that trash. I said, take them to the mall, take them to Walmart, but don't expose them to that ignorance. Yeah. Hallelujah. Now, that's just, that's just an old ignorant coon talking, but I'm going to tell you, I'm sick of that kind of mess. Hallelujah. I'm not talking about praising the Lord. 
because you've got the volume turned up so high. My eardrums are bursting. That's not the kind of praise I'm talking about. I'm not talking about something silly and worked up and something that arises out of emotion and sensationalism. I'm talking about somebody that can exalt God in the darkest hour of their life. Somebody that can praise God when the storm is raging. That can worship God in the darkest hour of their life. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That's the kind of praise I'm preaching about. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And you don't have to sing in the sweet by and by to make me happy. And I'm not against new songs. I like new songs. But I don't like any kind of song I can't understand. Hallelujah. Now, I'm, I, I was kind of preaching there. I'm going to give you a little two-minute teaching lesson here. Y'all want a little bit of teaching? Let me give you a little bit of teaching. The Bible, the tone and the tenor of the Bible is, it doesn't matter if it's supernatural tongue-talking. God does not want a church service operated where people can't understand what's being said and done. Hallelujah. Now, all of you take it home and handle it at your church. I'm telling you what I teach them in Gina. The most tongue-talking messages we're going to have in a church service here that we're going to stop for an interpretation for is three. And after that, if you still feel like speaking in tongues, you speak to yourself and to God and let the church service go on. Now, I'm going to say something to you. If you feel like singing something we can't understand, you just sing to yourself and God and let the church go on. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, the Bible emphasizes that we have a church service that people can understand what's being preached and what's being sung and what's being taught in the Word of God. Hallelujah. Now, that's just a little aside there off of this that I'm on. Hallelujah. I'm not against new songs. I like new songs. And I, and I like worship and I like praise. And I like shouting and jumping and running. And I do all of that kind of stuff. But I want to tell you, really, praise in the Lord is when you can exalt him in the darkest hour of your life. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Praising God is what Job did when his kids died. And everything, he lost everything. And he lifted his head toward the skies. And he said, the Lord giveth. And the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's real praise unto God. I want to tell you, sir, if you're going to ever get the victory, you're going to have to learn to praise him in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the rejection, in the midst of being cheated, in the midst of the horrors of life. We need to learn to rely on God and to trust in him. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Oh, tis so sweet. To trust in Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Learning to praise him. <clears throat> Learning to let go of things. Learning to let go of your hurts. And your disappointments. I'm going to tell you. If Leah would have just kept on. 
And every child she had, she would have named it some kind of sympathetic name, some kind of a soothing name that drew attention to her hurt and her disappointments and her rejection and her being cheated. She would have tied a bitter old woman. But when she got to the place, she said, God, I love you. I'm going to let all of this business go. I don't care if Rachel's prettier than I am. I don't care if my eyes are funny. I don't care if Jacob hates me the rest of my life. I'm still going to serve God. I'm going to glorify the Jehovah of heaven. Praise God. When are we going to get to the place that we let everything go and we decide I'm going to live for God? Hallelujah. You listen to this old gray-headed preacher today. Everybody in this building is going to have a good chance. And you're going to have a legal right to get bitter at some point in your life. Amen. You're going to have something happen to you that if you took your case to the Supreme Court... You could win it on the first hearing. Hallelujah. You'd be absolutely justified in being bitter because you have been done wrong. You've got the evidence and you're going to be surprised who it is going to do you wrong. That's what's going to shock you. Amen. That's what's going to make it so hard. Is who does it. Praise God. And you know what? You can just get so bitter. You can get so angry. You can get so upset. You can call everybody. You can get you a whole host. And they'll all agree with you. Oh, you've got a case. And everybody just rub you and pat you. Oh, poor brother town. Hallelujah. Oh, God. Don't have a hair on his pole head. He just, he just been beat to death, poor brother. And so I called Brother Majors. I said, Brother Majors, you hear what happened to Brother Townley? Oh, we're going to have a meeting over our next Friday. And we're going to all talk about what happened to Brother Townley. Oh, yeah. We're going to get Brother Mack over. He's an old wise man. He's going to tell us maybe what to do. And you know what? Pretty soon... Me and Brother Majors and Brother Mack and all the rest of you, we could be bitter too. Hallelujah. You just keep on. Just You know, that's what the Bible says. Watch out for that root of bitterness that springs up. And many of you are going to be defiled by that. <clears throat> Amen. I've been pastoring in Gina 28 years this month. And in 28 years, I've had people come in. And they'd come on, kind of hobbling in and say, Brother Coon. You know, my old hip is just wore plumb out. And then you go down the aisle of ways and somebody said, and they're doing this. <clears throat> Brother Coon, my old elbow's just wore out. And I'm telling you, I've seen people in Gina with everything wore out. <laughs> Honest to God, I'm pretty wore out myself, come to think about it. <laughs> but I'm telling you, you hear me. I've never had anybody walk in that building and say, Brother Coon, you know what? My old tongue is wore plumb out. I, I ain't never had it happen, Brother Lyles. I'm telling you, it's working good when their hips are out of joint and their eyeballs are out of their head 
and their brains gone, they're still a wag in their tongue. Amen. Sowing bitterness. And sowing discord. I hate to get in one of them stories, Brother Majors. Somebody gets to tell you about it and say, I want to tell you what she did to me. It was, it was back, let's see. Let's see, just a minute. I can tell you just in a minute. It's back in 1953. That's when it was. And we was on our way to Arkansas. And I can tell you right where we stopped at. It was on a Tuesday. No, I'm wrong. it wasn't on a Tuesday. It was on Wednesday morning. That's when it was. Because I remember how sleep it was. And I'd just taken an aspirin just before it happened. And you know what? You got all the particulars. It's just before, right, right before Junior was born is when this happened. And, and, and it, was, it was on this day and it was on this time and whatever. And you have never forgot it. You've never let it go. Amen. It was this preacher said this. I remember it was in that revival. Hallelujah. I had a woman. I was in in Columbus, Indiana. That just reminds me. We're going to tell that story, but I'll tell it. It's, it's kind of handy here. This woman come up to me. And I'd been teaching Bible study on Thursday night. I walked down, and I got right down here in front of the church. And I'm going to tell you, you can do pretty good preaching, but you're doing real good if you get out the door with a victory. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. Amen. All them people you see got the pastor cornered ain't telling them how good his suit looks. And so this lady, she caught me, in, and she's a wonderful lady. And I'm serious, she's a good lady. And I noticed she had red splotches on her neck. Just happened to notice she had red spots on her. And uh, she was upset. You know, some people, when they get upset, different things happen to them. And she broke out with red splotches, apparently. <laughs> she was upset. Yeah, she had a spiritual reaction of some sort. Of. But anyway, she walked up to me and she shook her finger in my face. And she said, Brother Coon, I want to know what you got against me. Boy, she was hot under the collar. Well, I was totally shocked. She was one of the finest ladies in the church. I said, I don't have anything against you. She said, don't you stand there and lie to me. She said, you know good and well you do. <clears throat> I said, no, ma'am, I really don't. She said, you know good and well you do. I said, sister, I have no idea what you're talking about. She said, now, Brother Coon, there's no use in lying about it. She said, just tell the truth. You know good and well you got something against me. Well, I kind of felt myself breaking out in red splotches about then. <laughs> I started having some of them. <laughs> so... So I said, I said, hold on just a minute. I said, now, just a minute. I said, listen, I'm not lying to you, and you need to calm down and tell me what you're talking about. She said, you know what I'm talking about. But she said, I'm fixing to tell you. I said, all right. She said, you remember about six months ago when Brother So-and-So preached for us? I said, yeah, remember it well. She said, and she remembered the night. 
She said, you leaned over to him and you told him something about me. And y'all both looked at me and laughed about it. <laughs> and she said, I want to know what you told him. Hallelujah. Well, if, if that happened now, of course, I was young and knew how to pastor back in, but I don't know how to pastor. If she'd do that now, I'd just say, well, you're going to live a long time before you find out. It was just so funny, I can't tell you. <laughs> I'd probably have me a lot of fun with that. But <laughs> I, said, I said, sister, let me tell you something. I don't do that. I don't talk about the saints to visiting preachers. And I'm going to tell you something else. I don't sick visiting preachers on the saints. I'll do my own preaching. Hallelujah. And if I ain't man enough to do it, I won't sick you on them to do it. Now you preach what you feel and you just lay the law down, but I'm not going to tell you what to preach. That's just Brother Coon now. And uh, I said, I don't do that. She said, now you know you did. <laughs> and to make a long story short, we sat there and stood there and talked a good little while. And I finally convinced her. She put her hands on her hips and she said, do you mean that you didn't tell him nothing about me? I said, no, sir. I didn't tell him a thing. She said, Whew. she said, I hadn't had a good night's sleep in six months. And she said, on top of that, I hadn't got nothing out of your preaching in six months. She said, are you sure you didn't do something? <laughs> I said, no, I didn't do nothing. <clears throat> but you know what? Now, that old lady is funny because she's in Indiana. It's funny because she's 800 miles from here. <clears throat> but I imagine you at just the mention of something could break out in red splotches yourself. Am I right or wrong? Hallelujah. There's things that are going to happen to you in life, sir or ma'am, that are going to come from strange places. And I'm going to tell every pastor in this building, you better get you a big forgiver if you're going to pastor. And you better get you a big ignorer to go with it. If you carry around all the little looks and the little slights and the little hurts, you can have young'uns till you die. And you can name them Reuben and Simeon and you can name them Junior and you can name them Leroy, but you'll still be bitter. Amen. I'm going to tell you what's going to save you is when you get to the place, you say, I don't care what anybody's done. I don't care what anybody said. I'm going to praise the God of heaven. I'm going to walk with Jesus Christ. I'm going to love him with all of my heart. Hallelujah be to God. Oh yes, I'm going to serve him regardless of what anybody's done. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now I'm just going to wax a little eloquent here. Why don't you quit blaming the government? And why don't you quit blaming some organization because you ain't doing no better than you are? 
Hallelujah. It's not everybody else it's my problem. It's Crawford Coon it's my problem. You know what I need to do? I need to quit running my tongue. I need to quit running my brain. I need to start praising the Lord and saying God is a good God. I don't care what anybody's doing. I don't care what anybody said. I don't care what anybody's done to me. God is still a good God and he deserves praise and glory and worship and honor to his name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. <clears throat> glory, 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 glory. Does everybody get the message? Brother, the key to ultimate triumph is learning to serve the Lord and love the Lord and praise the Lord in spite of what's going on in your life. When you're going to let it go? When you're going to learn to be happy? Praise God. Some of you sitting around waiting on the other to die. Hallelujah. Why don't you just make up your mind? I'm going to serve the Lord now. I'm going to serve him under whatever conditions I'm under. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Sometimes you need to just learn to transpose in the composition of life. I don't know anything about music, but sometimes you just got to put it in a different key and sing the, sing the same song. Hallelujah. Some of you's got husbands that keep everything pretty. Others got husbands that they start at the front door and you can follow them through the house and you find their underwear at the back door and you can't ever get him out of all of that. You say, well, what in the name of God am I going to do? I think I'll just call me a lawyer. I'll tell you what it'd be best to do. Just start gathering up clothes and start playing life in a different key and say, I just happen to marry one of these knotheads. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to stop. We're going to make it. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to rejoice in the God of heaven. Come on, folks. It's not going to always be good and nice, but you're going to have to learn to praise him in spite of what's going on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me, let, me, let me finish up here. I, I'm smelling gumbo or something. I don't know what it is. I got a whiff of something there that's kind of cured my preaching itch. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Talking about the biblical key to ultimate triumph. After everything else is said and done, after you've tried everything else, why don't you try praising him, loving him, forgiving? I'm going to tell you, that praise in there is not just in, indicative of, of a bunch of hand clapping and a bunch of doing this. That's not what it means. It was a depth of forgiveness. It was a depth of worship. It was a depth of love. And I don't know what happened, and the musicians can come. I don't know what happened from that day forward. I don't know everything that happened. But I know that in the biography of Jacob, <clears throat> a lot of years went by and a lot of children were born. In fact, there was nine that was born after Judah to him and his wives and concubines. A lot of water under the bridge a lot of disappointments, a lot of hurts, a lot of ups and downs in life. You go through the saga of Joseph. 
You go through the story of uh, Benjamin. You go through the story of being uprooted, moving down to Egypt, <clears throat> spending 17 years in a foreign country. All the hurts, the disappointments. And uh, we don't hear a big, big lot about Leah after today's lesson. Not a big lot about her. But whatever happened in that little woman's life <clears throat> when she made the switch and she forgave and she let stuff go and she just kind of surrendered her life in humility to God. I don't know what happened. She didn't get any prettier, I'm sure. Probably got uglier with age. And the years took its toll. And Rachel dies. The pretty girl dies. And Leah dies. And now Jacob is an old man. <clears throat> He's living by himself. All of his family that's left is down in Egypt. And he has, he's relished the beauty of Rachel all of his life. He can never forget 14 years of toil and labor in the heat of the day, in the cold of the night, he talks about, to get that woman that he loved so much. And you know all of that, that attraction, that closeness. <clears throat> but today's old. He's 147, Brother Lyles. And if you can get the picture, and you can play for me a little bit, Brother Hush. And uh, he's got all his boys around him. And they're talking to him, and he's blessed them. He's told them their future. He tells Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Joseph. He calls them all by name, Dan, Naphtali. Calls them all by name. Last address to the family. <clears throat> and uh, so they're discussing everything. And uh, the issue comes up. <clears throat> well, Daddy, where you want to be buried at? Now, you realize how sick you are. Where you want us to bury you at? And Jacob, here's his last words on earth. He talks to him a little bit and he said, Tell you where you want, I want you to bury me at. He said, I want you to bury me in that cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. It's in the field of Machpelah, it's in the land of Canaan. And it's, and it's the spot that Abraham bought. Bought it for a burying place. And he said, Abraham's buried there. And Sarah's buried there. Mom and dad is buried there. Isaac and Rebecca's buried there. And he said, that's where I buried Leah. He said, 
I'd like to be buried by Leah. Would you put me beside her? Daddy, I thought you loved Rachel the best. No, boys. I'd like to spend my long sleep in the ground beside a woman that knew how to praise God. How do you want to finish? What do you want your closing testimony to be? I know it's not possible. I know it cannot be. But I'm going to tell you something. If somewhere in the imaginary world, and again, this is imagination, not reality. If she could do it, and she probably wouldn't, but if she could do it, Leah would get up on the top of that grave and she'd look down towards where Rachel was buried and she'd say, goody, 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 goody. And she's been doing it for 4,000 years. Goody, goody, goody. When it's all finished, he wanted to be buried by me. The ultimate triumph. Many years ago, and I say everything I'm fixing to say for the glory of God. Many years ago, when I was a little boy, and Brother Taylor knows this story, my daddy baptized Brother Taylor. He baptized his mother. Brother Taylor preached my daddy's funeral. And he preached my mama's funeral. When I was a little boy, my daddy pastored a church. He pastored two churches. He started Brother Brian Taylor's home church. This fall will be 67 years ago when my mother was expecting me. <clears throat> he built that church. He pastored that and other churches. And I'm sorry to tell you, and I don't even really like to tell this story when I was a little boy about 10 years old or so my dad backslid he left my mother and uh, he married another woman she's a bad woman he was he was her fifth husband and I think you can imagine the reproach and the shame and the hurt sorrow agony not saying anything for sympathy we grew up on welfare I saw my dad go to the pits of despair and it seemed like brother and brother Wiley you remember the story my daddy and your daddy was contemporaries and I'd see my daddy with this other woman and he act like she was the grandest thing in the world She'd sit right up under him when they drove down the street. I've watched her many times grab him and kiss him over and over and over again. And I'd go home and I'd watch my mother. I'd watch her pray. I'd watch her cry. 
I'd watch her get to washing dishes at the sink and go to shouting and speaking in tongues. I'd watch her take that little welfare check every month and when she got it cashed, the first dollars that come out of it, the first five or six or seven dollars, she put it in an envelope and took it to Brother A.L. Clinton the next service. I watched her do that year after year. I've had her set us down many a time and say, Crawford, your daddy failed God. He's a good man. But the devil's got a hold of him. And she said, I loved him. We had such a good life together. And uh, she said, don't ever hate your daddy. She said, you love him regardless of what he ever does. Don't, don't feel bad at your daddy. It's just the enemy. That's the way I was raised. That's the way I was taught. I went through all of my teenage years. I heard that. I watched that. I saw her go to church. I saw her shout. I saw her live for God. I saw her through the good times and the bad times. Over and over and over. I got grown. I got married. He wasn't at the wedding. A lot of things happened in life. I got a big old hole there somewhere that I missed something. And I'm, I'm headed somewhere here shortly. I watched all of this unfold. I never lost contact with my dad. Never was adversarial. Never had differences. Always my mother. Son, live for God. Pray for your daddy. I believe God's going to bring him back. Years and years and years, she lived alone. Raised all of us kids, the six of us kids in the family. And he left when she was expecting my baby sister. <clears throat> One day I was pastoring in Arkansas <clears throat> many years ago. I got a call from my dad. And he said, Crawford, would you come down to Pine Bluff and talk to me? He's living in Pine Bluff at the time. He said, I could tell something was different in his voice. He said, I really need you. I said, yeah, I'll be there in a little while, Daddy. I got in my car and I went down to see him. I walked in. Here's a broken man. And I could tell something was wrong. I said, Daddy, what's going on? He said, he called his wife by name. And he said, she did to me what I did to your mother. She just picked up and left she's gone I said well do you think she's coming back he said no he said she won't ever be back I said well what are you going to do he said I don't know he said I just want to tell you son and this was a shocker he said I've been in a living hell for years and I never saw a man that acted more happy he said I am in a living hell he said I know what I'd like to do I said what would you like to do he said I'd like to get back in church and I'd like to get back with your mama if she would have me 
And I said, Daddy, God can fix all of that. And I just come to tell you, on March the 16th, 2007, that my, and he went to Brother Taylor's church till he died. My dad got back in the church, received the Holy Ghost, and him and my mother attended Brother Taylor's church for years. They lived together 19 years before he died. In just a few days, they will have been laying side by side in the graveyard for 20 long years. I don't know that my old mama would.